Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, back to the Hammer and Rails podcast, home of the now 3-1 and Purdue Boilermakers. Not only that, we're 1-0 and in conference, meaning we are in first place in the Big Ten West. So let's all celebrate while that lasts, because I don't imagine that'll last very long. I am your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm Casey Bartley. And uh, obviously, we're going to do the bulk of the podcast on the Purdue versus Illinois game, which if you watch as we did, I am very sorry. Uh, it was not a good football game, but Purdue did come out victorious, 13-9. to um, But up at the top, we are going to do a couple non-football stories. We're going to talk about women's volleyball and women's basketball. But Casey, first, I have got a little pop quiz for you. Let's do it. Okay, so I know you are not a huge fan of uh, Jeff Brom at this point in his tenure based on kind of the amount of money he makes and the results he's getting. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's okay. way more the second. Way more, okay. Well, that's fair. So, Casey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some numbers, and you are going to have to tell me which coach did this. Okay. Now, you're probably going to get at least the first one just because of the strange number. So, which coach of the last three, Danny Hope, Daryl Hazel, and Jeff Brom, went 9-33 and after his first 42 games? 9-33 and after his first how many games? Or 42 games. That's got to be Hope. No, that's got to be Hazel. He, Hazel went, only... he coached that many games? Yes. The, the reason I have it out of 42 games is because that is the total number of games he coached at Purdue. So he was fired uh, after 42 games. So that is why these totals are going to be out of 42. Okay. He was he was nine and thirty three in his time at Purdue, three and twenty four in the conference. Okay, so that means now you've got Danny Hope and you've got Jeff Brom left. Okay. Yeah. Now again, these are out of forty two games because I wanted to compare it to Hazel. Which coach went nineteen and twenty three after their first forty two games? That's definitely Dan. You are correct. <laughs> However, it is also 
Jeff Brom. They had identical records after 42 games. And reminder, Danny Hope was fired after, after, after his uh, season in, what was it, 2016, 2017? God, I can't even remember now. Uh, yeah, sorry, 2012. He was before Hazel. Jesus Christ, Ledman. Uh, so yeah, he was fired in 2012 after going six and six. Obviously, you know, he, he had more games than, than Hazel. So his final career at Purdue was 22 and 27. But like I said, after 42 games, he was 19 and 23. And that was the exact same mark that Jeff Brom had after his first 42 games. So you're telling me there's hope. Ha <laughs> ha. No, I just, you know, there's been a lot of comparisons online between where Hope was and where, where Brom was. And it is kind of amazing to me that at the 42 game mark, they were at the exact same number. And to go to the point that I made earlier about what Brom makes, you know, you're getting the same results at that point in their career for roughly four to four and a half times cheaper uh, with Danny Hope. Yeah. Um, perception is everything, I guess. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think perception is everything because you when 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 Hope took over, he, he came in and he did. I mean, he only went five and seven in his first season, but he was four and four in conference. And there were a really a lot of close games in that five and seven. Um, you know, it was a lot of one possession games, a lot of games that could have gone either way. So people actually came away pretty excited. But it with with uh, Brom coming in, he came in at such a bottom with Hazel just, you know, tanking the program, going one and eleven, then three and nine, two and ten, and then you know three and three before he was fired. Um, there was there was nowhere really to go but up. So Brom is really kind of living off the low expectations of Daryl Hazel. So it's going to be interesting to see how long he can survive on those low expectations before the fans start wanting more and start clamoring for a change. I am not there yet. I know you're either there or getting there, um, you know, pulling into a parking space. But for me, I think he's got to have a little more time. And, you know, right now he is, whether the winds are ugly or not, he is sitting at three and one. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to personally point entirely to our schedule for that. Our defense has been a surprise. It's been good. Legitimately has been good. I'm still not crazy about a coach that after every game says, well, fundamentally, I need to change who I am as a coach. Yeah, yeah, and he, he does seem to repeat that quite a bit. If you, if your boss, I, I think I wrote this on Twitter during the game. If your boss said, I need to do, that you need to do a better job, at your job, as often as Coach Brahma said it about himself, that wouldn't be your profession. Yeah, yeah, you'd be you'd be looking for something else uh, on the curb somewhere. So I don't know. We're we're gonna get into more of this uh, in a bit here, but like I said at the top, there are a couple stories we wanted to touch on that are non-football related. So we'll get into those first. Um, the first one is going to be, if you'll recall, last week and a, a couple weeks before that, even uh, the scandal that has been simmering around the women's basketball program uh, involved not only Sharon Versip, who quote unquote retired uh, last week, but also around an assistant coach, uh, Terry Kicks. And thanks to the folks at the Exponent, which is where I saw this reported the first time, uh, Terry Kicks is now gone. She has, again, you know, was one of those resigned, um, but I'm not sure how much choice she had in the matter. So now there is going to be an assistant coach position open on the Purdue women's sidelines. And uh, hopefully with both kicks and Versip gone, Purdue is able to kind of turn the page and maybe get back to the winning ways that they've been so used to um, before the the downturn under Versip. Yeah, um, 
this is going to be one of those that the further we can get away from it, the better. Hopefully we don't hide anything, and hopefully the truth isn't as terrible as you've seen in some programs. Hopefully we've heard the worst of it, and we can both bicker over whether she should have been given this much leniency. But at least she's gone, and it, at the moment it doesn't seem like it's anything really criminal that's happened. Obviously nothing you're proud of or want to be in your program, but now she's not involved. Neither is Nix, and hopefully, hopefully nothing worse was true about what we've heard. So I, I may have misspoke. Um, the exponent called her an assistant coach, but um, from my understanding and from what I'm seeing on uh, the Purdue sports website, she was the director of basketball operations, which was the position that I had known um, her to hold. But I thought maybe uh, perhaps she she'd gotten a change. Uh, well, I had not been paying attention, but it appears she is the director of basketball operations and. I want to point out one more thing that I'm I'm seeing on WLFI.com, which I cannot confirm, which is true, but they've mentioned it in two separate stories that I found, um, stating that head coach, uh, former head coach, Sharon Versup, uh, was in fact married to Terry Kicks, um, which makes this whole ordeal a little stranger in my mind, because uh, the way you read the initial reports is Sharon Versup, of course, is the head coach. Um, but a lot of the the more bullying tactics seem to have come um, by the hand of Terry Kicks. And to me, you know, if they are if they truly are spouses, as this report says, it, it just seems a little more wrong and dirty to me because you're basically asking your spouse to do the dirty work for you at your job, while your spouse is also your boss. So there's a strange power dynamic in a couple ways there. And um, I mean, it's just a bad situation all around. So. I'm just really glad Purdue is washing their hands of this whole situation. Um, you know, I just I just want to move on from it. I want to be done. And like you said, I, I hope Purdue does not cover anything up. I hope they get to the bottom of everything and figure out if anybody else was involved and, and do what they can to help um, the players if they need any help or, you know, if there's anything that, that they can do to help those women who, who came and put on a Purdue uniform, they should do it. But, man, I'm just glad this whole thing's over. Yeah, it definitely makes Versa more culpable. If they are married, that is their culture. They're obviously okay with each other doing that. It's not good, but let's hope we never have to mention the name again. Yeah, yeah. And like, like I said, I, I have no idea if they are in fact married. I, I, um, you know, you don't see a lot of information on the uh, spouses of your director of basketball operations very often. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's true. But like I said, WLFI has has mentioned it in two separate articles. Um, you know, about a month apart. So I have to assume. Uh, they've done their reporting and, and that it would be true. So, all right. Well, moving on from that sadness, we got some good news. Um, Purdue Volleyball um, played a couple really good games here in this last week. They were triumphant over number three ranked Ohio State um, in um, Hollowell Gymnasium on Purdue's campus. So that is a huge victory for the program. I'm guessing, um, I believe it might be the uh, biggest victory um, I'm sorry, the, the victory over a highest ranked team the program has ever had. Um, so, I mean, that's huge. Um, and of course there was a great crowd. Um, Shondell always loves to point out how great the, uh, the fans at volleyball are. So being able to, to take down the number three ranked team and Purdue was number seven at the time. Um, so it's not a, a huge upset, but I mean, anytime you can take down a, a big power like Ohio State, who's ranked above you, that's going to be huge for your team. Yeah, it really seems like Shondell has the perfect mix of veterans that came back taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility. And then young players like Raven Colvin, who has already made 
her stamp on the program as a true freshman. It's exciting. You know, we've been knocking on that ceiling trying to break through, you know, really becoming one of the elite programs in the country. And wins like this are going to push us closer and closer. Yeah, and and this was the first uh, Big Ten game for both Ohio State and Purdue. So, I mean, Purdue obviously starts the Big Ten season 1-0 and after that game, and then Ohio State 0-1. And, and like I've, I've, I've mentioned this before, if you know anything about um, Big Ten volleyball, I mean, it is just a meat grinder. There are so many good teams in the Big Ten that anytime you can take one away from a top team like Ohio State, um, it's just going to be great for you uh, in the conference standings. So after uh, beating Ohio State on that high, they actually went to Bloomington today uh, to take on IU for the Monon Spike, which is basically the traveling trophy that Purdue and uh, IU play for in volleyball. And Purdue swept them uh, three sets to nothing. So now they sit at 2-0 and in conference play. They are one of five teams now in the conference that are 2-0. and That's going to be Purdue, Illinois, Penn State, Nebraska, and Minnesota. And Penn State uh, is always at the top of the, the, the heap there. Uh, Nebraska and Minnesota are no slouches either. So it's going to be one heck uh, of, a, of a conference once again in women's volleyball. Yeah, and I think a big thing is, if I'm not mistaken, NCAA tournament is a you know selection process that's even tougher to get into than NCAA tournament. So yeah, it's really strange how they do it. You know, they seed the top 16 teams. If uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I I'm think sure that's we're right. Gonna, and then you know you can go, you can play in different pods, and I believe you can play at home um, for the first few rounds. So. This will go a long way in getting us a good seed, getting us possibly home games, and at least getting us in. So all in all, very good trip, very good win. And then we get to IU in the yeah, same week. Yeah, which is always great. Always great. So uh, congrats to Coach Sean Dale and the uh, volleyball team. So we will get into the Illinois game right after this break. All right, and we are back. So now we are going to talk about the Purdue victory over Illinois and just right off the top, I have to say, I'm not sure I have ever felt worse after a victory than I did after that Illinois game, because my goodness, that was just hideous to watch. Almost unbearable. We choose to spend our lives in this way. <laughs> right, right. We did this by choice. No one forced us. Nope. We sat down and said, this is going to be a great Saturday afternoon. I'm going to watch some football. And then... There certainly was, as Travis likes to call it, a football-like substance was on my TV. Uh, but, you know, Purdue walked away with a win, but my goodness, it was a slog. It wasn't fun on either end. I can't imagine either fan base walked away from that game going, sweet, we have how many more games of this? Yeah, right, yeah. Man, I can't wait to do this eight more times. This is the worst team left on my schedule? Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, the schedule for Purdue... Granted, Minnesota, you know, next week is not exactly someone who's lighting the uh, the conference up, especially with the injury to their main running back. But, man, the schedule does not get easier going forward. And if you can only muster 13 points against a team that was allowing, on average, 30.3 points per game, you're, you're going to be in some trouble. Now, I do want to, you know, say Purdue has a lot of players on offense who are out. You know, David Bell was out. Horvath was out, who was you know, starting running back at the beginning of the season. King Doru was out, who was the backup running back, who became the starting running back. Uh, we have no idea exactly what he is out for. Uh, the only thing we know is it is non-COVID related, uh, because they did clarify that in the postgame. It said it's a non-COVID related medical issue. So 
We don't know if we're going to get him back. So Typhoid fever. Yes, he's got typhoid. Uh, it's real, real sad. Uh, he met some woman named Mary, and that's how he got it. That's that's just how it happens. I hope, people, I hope people get that Typhoid Mary reference right there. I just watched that Drunk History not that long ago. Okay, good. So you're on So you're on it. All right. Um, so, I mean, that means Purdue is starting uh, Dylan Downing, who is a true freshman, I believe, uh, at running back. And, you know, he's a big dude. I mean, he's he's uh, he's stacked at like 600, 600, 6 foot, 200 and some pounds. But, I mean. Well, he's, he's a UNLV transfer. So. Oh, is he? Who am I talking about then? Oh, I'm talking about Jacquez Cross. Yeah. But either way, it doesn't matter. Jacquez Cross is not a big end. Actually, I, I thought Cross looked good. He's pretty quick. I thought he saw holes well. He's just tiny in the way that as soon as he gets a hand on him, he's going. Yeah. It's uh, the running back position. Wait, no, it says, oh, Dylan Downing. Yes, he is a transfer, but he, I don't think he played. In theory, you, well, you wouldn't have lost eligibility last year and the free transfer. Yes. So. Right. Yeah. So he's listed. That's what it is. He's listed as a friend, but still you are correct. He is a transfer. So, um, but the running back position is, is decimated at this point. And we are without David Bell. Uh, we did not have David Bell's backup, Mershon Rice. So those are two of our top receivers. And about um, four plays in, we lost our yeah, tight end. Yeah, we lost uh, Payne Durham to, I want to say it was a clean hit from my perspective. I, you can't. Man, it was a hard hit. <laughs> oh. It was really hard, but it was square in the chest. I. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, they're trying to take away the shots to the head. They're trying to take away using your, your helmet as a weapon, you know going into a defenseless player or any player for that matter. So the fact that the guy from Illinois just lowered a shoulder or a forearm or whatever he hit him with first and got him in the chest, I mean, that's what you want. You know, you want him to to be as safe as possible, quote unquote, in football. And that's what he did. So uh, a lot of Purdue fans were yapping online saying it was dirty and that was targeting and blah, 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 but not even close. I mean, it's just a good, solid hit. If that was a hit in the head, I'm not sure Durham would ever walk again. Yeah, no kidding, Manny. Because that, that Illinois guy, I mean, he was just immediately there. and He was booking. Yeah, he got every inch of him just set up. And it was, you just watched his head go forward and back real quick. Yeah, yeah. And, and it comes off the heel of watching David Bell just take a bad shot to the back and have his hand head just slammed into the ground. So it's concerning. It's scary, but those kind of injuries, there's just, this is football. This is what we've chosen to put our kids into pay money towards enjoy. This is the beast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are going to be huge hits in football. Um, There's nothing you can do about it. You can try to take out some of the shots to the head, the shots below the knees, you know, things like that. But a good solid shot to the chest. That's just football. And if if we're going to keep playing football, you're going to see a lot of hits like that and uh nothing dirty about it in my mind. So, um we obviously we don't know the status of Payne Durham going forward, but we do hope he comes back. We did see a little bit of trouble again for him with his hands in this game. So, uh goes back to our enduring conversation, Payne Durham, good or bad. Uh, I'm leaning more to towards bad right now. <laughs> though, though we've seemed to have about uh, three weeks in a row in this podcast. I think he's good, uh, but I think his hands could certainly use some work. He he has a lot of things bounce off his hands. Not the softest hands, that guy. So he's good. Do you trust him? Those are different questions. <laughs> Those are different questions. Um, I think so. I, I think we'll just jump straight into the Brown criticism. We were missing so <laughs> many people, and yet I, I just don't understand. We watched we watched the first game, and my major complaint: Why was Jackson Anthrop such a focal point in touching the ball more? Right. 
Counterpoint, why when everyone is gone, Jackson Attenthrope looked pretty good? Why did he only get four touches? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that because, like you said, we're missing our main weapons, our big guys um, who can go out and make a big play for you. But Jackson Anthrop is a steady hand. He, I mean, he's fairly athletic. He's fairly fast. He's not light the world on fire kind of guy. But when you're missing your stars, you need someone who's reliable. And Jackson Anthrop is reliable. And the fact that he only got three receptions and one rush kind of was confusing to me. I mean, he totaled only 30 yards on the day. So uh, three receptions for 21 yards and one rush for nine. So you just you wonder exactly what the game plan is. Um, I mean, obviously, some additional wide receivers had some great games, which I want to get to in a minute. But I'm just I'm not sure sometimes what Brom is doing. It goes back to what we said last week. Brom sometimes I think is he he thinks he's the smartest guy out there and he is too cute by half. Um, you know, you've got a guy like Anthrop who is very consistent, very sure handed and you think, don't get him the ball. And, and I don't I don't know why. And he's already shown that he is capable and familiar playing out of the backfield. Something we could have used. We had no juice in the backfield. No, no. Um, even doing clever things out of it or, you know, threatening in ways that Dylan Downing and Jacquez Cross just were not going to be able to do. That would have been helpful. Um, obviously, Milton Wright is a big receiver. He gets open. His hands have continued to be a problem. Yes. Um, I thought TJ Sheffield was really good. To- obviously, he caught the go-ahead touchdown on a nice little hitch route, made a nice catch, like moved up field. Do you want to see him more involved? I thought Brock Thompson had a couple great plays early. Your boy. Yeah. Yeah. Where did he go? I don't know. He, I mean, he just completely dropped off. Only had two catches, 18 yards. I mean, we had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. We had eight different receivers catch a ball. Um, I mean, obviously Durham's a tight end downing the running back, but you know, those guys caught passes. We had eight players catch passes and that's great. You know, spreading the ball around is great, but you also need to have people who are getting the ball more consistently and more often because we have a lot of talent, but I don't feel like we're utilizing it the way that we should. And I think all of this is leading up into our one major point of discussion. Aiden O'Connell, Jack, and it's not yeah. just a simple which one is better quarterback decision. Because I don't, I don't know if it's my bias entirely. It's hard to tell because you don't get, you don't get a coach and see everything's happening. You don't know the play calls. But every time that Aiden O'Connell comes in, the offense looks different, like it's yeah. called different. I agree. I agree. And I wanted to bring that up. So. Before we get too deep into that, I want to go over kind of just what happened to get to that point where Plummer was pulled. So Purdue's, Purdue's defense obviously played a great game. Um, really good. We, we we can't go too far into this without crediting them. I mean, they they were living in the backfield. They prevented Illinois from getting anything, any touchdowns. I mean, they only allowed three field goals uh, in the entire game. Um, so this is now the second game this season they've not allowed a touchdown when you add in the UConn game. And I know UConn is terrible and all that, but anytime you can prevent a team from scoring a touchdown, that's just huge. So the Purdue defense had nine tackles for loss and two sacks. And I mean, that's just incredible. Um, You know, we did see uh, Branson Dean uh, went down uh, in the game. I've not heard if he's going to be back or what that injury is. So he, he had a great game with uh, half a sack and two and a half tackles for loss. So we want to make sure he is healthy and can come back. But Purdue, on offense, did not take advantage of that. They only had six points over the first three quarters, and those six points all came in the first quarter off of drives that looked pretty promising, got into the red zone, and then fizzled. So 
when you when your defense is making stops and you get all the way to the red zone and have to settle for field goals instead of touchdowns, as a fan, it makes me worried because how many more, you know, how long can you expect your defense to be perfect? How long can you expect them to make a stop every single time? Um, and for Purdue, it did catch up to them because they eventually fell behind nine to six. So that is really the, the stalling of the offense is really what got Plummer in trouble, I think. And at the other end of the spectrum, not only are we stalling in the red zone, we're also giving them short fields. First of all, our, our punter had a better day, still not a very good punting unit. And second of all, we stalled out on some drives deep in our own territory. We're making it hard on the defense and we're not taking advantage of when the defense does give Coach Brom's offense a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the punting was much, much better, I think. I mean, Ansel had five punts, averaged 45, uh, and had a long of 54. So that's really what you want in a punter. Um, but it's still not as consistent from game to game as we'd like to see. And if this offense is going to continue to have troubles, then we really do need a punter who can flip the field. Um, and he has not really shown the capacity to do that consistently yet. Um, maybe he will continue to, to grow into the role. Um, but right now, uh, we need a little bit more out of him. Yeah, and I, it's fun to see that we have some guys, not just George Karloff, that are really good. Jamari Brown had a great game at corner, had a yeah. couple just standout plays where particularly the ability to time deep passes without getting too handsy, without getting there early. That's something that a lot of defensive backs struggle. And he was really good. There was a phantom defensive pass interference called. Uh, but besides that, we, we came up with plays when we needed them. Uh, it really looked like McCray was going to run all over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the second half, Illinois really came alive in the rushing game. I mean, Josh McCray had 24 carries for 156 yards in the game. Um, I mean, that's a six and a half yard average, which you'd never, never want to see that if you're the uh, the defense. But ultimately, I mean, we kept him out of the end zone, and and that is pretty incredible that Purdue uh, was able to do that. It's that you know that bend don't break offense that. Purdue seems to have had year after year, you know, holding teams to field goals can often uh, be your best friend in that type of uh, situation. So um, the the thing I want to say about Plummer versus O'Connell echoes what you said earlier in that they are different players. I mean, Plummer is obviously more mobile than O'Connell. I mean, O'Connell gets back there and he's basically a statue. Um, he He's not going to be running. He's not going to be scrambling. And with the offensive line the way Purdue has it, that to me is why I wanted Plummer. Now, O'Connell came in, he was 12 of 19, 182 yards, one touchdown. He had two interceptions, though. Uh, one was not his fault, bounced off his receiver's hands. Uh, it's not that. You are throwing to, I think, a fullback? I'm not, I had no idea who that guy was. I can't even, I can't even remember who he was targeting on that play. Not anyone that has a catch <laughs> And he threw that thing 110 miles per hour right now. That is my problem with O'Connell. If he throws the ball with so much zip on it every time, it doesn't matter if you're he's throwing to a guy three yards away or 20 yards down the field. He is throwing a freaking rifle. Kyle uh, it, Billow, dude. Oh, yeah. Billado, I think. Who That's who he was throwing that to? Like, what, what are we doing? Um, so, I mean... You compare that to Plummer. Plummer also had 12 um, receptions, but he was on 21 uh, attempts, only got 95 yards, uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions. So, I mean, obviously, you love the change worked out. 
Um, you know, you can, we can give Brom a lot of crap for what he did last week against Notre Dame when he changed quarterbacks, only down a touchdown and you take out your starter. Didn't make sense to either of us. I understood the change to put in O'Connell this week because the offense was stagnant. The offense was doing nothing. So I am okay with this change. Were you okay with the change? I understood it. I thought this is the worst plumber has looked. He wasn't confident, wasn't making uh, Once again, at halftime, Brom said he didn't do a very good job getting Jack Plummer much to work with. And that's really honestly what it felt. As soon as AOC came in, it felt like a whole different offense. Felt like we were running a lot quicker stuff up the seat, challenging him in ways we didn't with Plummer. We, we seem to rely a little bit, but too much on Plummer's legs when he's in there. And he calls a bunch of rollouts and almost slow developing plays or super quick passes. I, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. It, it just doesn't feel like the same offense. And I, look, O'Connell made some plays. He all, that interception in the end zone can't happen. Oh, that was a killer. Just a killer. We are not good enough to throw the ball away in the end zone. And something like that, that's just going to break you. And we've seen him throw a lot of interceptions. He's got four on the year. He's a quick trigger, quick decision. That can be good. It can also be really, really bad. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, it did feel like the right time and whatever happened, uh, obviously it worked. I thought O'Connell did pretty well. He moved the ball. Maybe that's what we got to do. Maybe that's at this point. I'm just, it doesn't feel like Brom has the pulse of this team. Maybe he's wanted O'Connell from day one. Yeah. It doesn't, that's what it, it doesn't feels like really seem like he's putting, it doesn't feel like he's putting Plummer in the same position to succeed that O'Connell has been put in when he comes in the game. Um, I think there is something to, to what you said about, they rely on Plummer to move around. They rely on Plummer to be able to see the rush and kind of shift the pocket or, you know, go this way or that in order to extend a play. Whereas with O'Connell, they're like, this guy's a statue. We got to give him something. Um, so let's draw up different plays for him. And I get that. You know, you got to play to your player's strengths. But at the same time, I don't feel like they're playing to Plummer's strengths when he's in the game. Um, they're putting a completely different playbook out there. And then when O'Connell comes in, it does feel like they know who he is and they know what he can give them. Whereas with Plummer, perhaps he's more of a question mark to him because he's not getting that same ability to to succeed. Now, I want to say after the game, after the Notre Dame game, Brom was very definitive of, you know, we took Plummer out, but Plummer is our starter. After this uh, win against Illinois, Brom said more or less, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, we'll evaluate the quarterback position. So to me, that sounds like he is is thinking of putting uh, O'Connell in the starting role in the next game. It definitely could be. Um, at this point, the one thing Brahma has going for him, the offenses look so shitty, any change is probably going to look like an improvement. Yeah. That that whole first half was awful. And I, I, I can't think of a single play where Brahm helped anyone on the offense. Yeah, the whole, I mean, not just the whole first half. I mean, three and a half quarters yeah. of football we're just, I mean, agonizingly bad offense. Um, you know, I know you wanted to mention a couple of the receivers who played well. Uh, Milton Wright seems to have have found himself back in the game um, with a little bit better. I mean, he he still has some problems with his hands, but he played really well. Seven catches for 88 yards. And um, Abdul Rahman Yassin, I'm sorry if I butchered that name, uh, came in, had three catches for 77 yards, and Huge he looked really play. good out there. It was the very first play that AOC came in. All of a sudden, they run a poster. Yeah. What was that? It was a. It was pretty much a one-read deep where he got to split the safeties. That's that's an easy read. It's a tough throw to hit someone on the mark. I, where was that with Plummer? I, yeah, and Plummer can hit that. Come, Plummer can hit that pass. I don't know why they're not giving him those opportunities. But he is a young guy. 
Um, Travis has been calling for him all year. And he came up big. That was a nice diving grab. He's got good speed, pretty good size. We have wide receivers. I'm not sure where, why we're not just spreading the ball out from the start and just slinging it 50 times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, Purdue had... Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was, you can argue our offensive line that's going to get our quarterback killed. It's probably true, but I don't think these one-yard runs and leaving us to third and longs are doing us any favor. You're right. That's true. Um, so Purdue had members of the, the 2000 Rose Bowl team at the game, you know, we were wearing the, the Rose Bowl throwback. So they had, um, Drew Brees was there, uh, Seth Morales, uh, a couple other guys. I think Matt Light was there as well. Um, and maybe Aiken Adele. Uh, I can't Montreux remember. Montreux Lowe, my guy. Oh, Montreux. Okay. Well, I, Come look, on. I can't remember everybody who was there. Um, and, you know, the thing with when Drew Brees was at Purdue is those teams knew exactly who they are, who they were, and what they had. Um, because, there were games where Drew Brees would throw the ball 40 times, 50 times, uh, you know, so many, so many passes. And it feels like that is what this team is going to have to do, especially with your top two running backs out. Now, they've relied on a lot of quick passes because the offensive line is is not great. But they've done these screens that are getting no yards. They've tried to do so many little uh, quick passes that just aren't working. They need to find a way to allow at least some slants, some crosses, some posts like what uh, O'Connell had as soon as he came in. Um, They've got to find a way to get the quarterback time to allow him to throw the ball because with the talent at wide receiver, that is how this offense is going to put points on the board. It's not going to be on the ground. Yeah, we're never going to be able to build a passing game off our rush. We might be able to get a decent running game based if we start to scare them on our pass, get them into light units, turn them into dime and nickel, and then run off. It's the way we have it with our running backs hurt, our offensive line. We're not going to be able to ground and pound at all. It's just putting us behind the chains every second. Yeah. So here, what I was looking up as you were talking there, Drew Brees holds, or at least held, I don't know if he still does, the record for passing attempts in a game. Uh, I think Orton destroyed that. (laughs) uh, I don't think so. Passing attempts in a game. As of, so how many passes do you think he attempted in a game in October of 1998? Breeze? Yes. Seven. 83. Okay, Breeze probably has a record. What? 83. Could you imagine 83 pass attempts in a game? No, I was alive for that and I can't even remember it. That's, whew. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, like, it's just shocking. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. Uh, I just can't imagine a team today doing that. But that may be something that this Purdue team has to seriously consider. Um, because the top two running backs are out. The offensive line is struggling. Maybe you just use, you know, a tight end, throw in an extra lineman, throw in a tight end or a running back to block. I don't know what you need to do to give your quarterback time, but they've got to find a way, uh, to put points on the board. And if they can't do it against Illinois, I'm not sure how they're going to do it going forward. Yeah. And at this point, like everyone's injured. We didn't have that much talent in the backfield to begin with. We've got one place that Brahms recruited well. Use them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, seeing Sheffield, Anthrop, Thompson, Bell, when he gets back, use them. Those are the best threats that we have on our off. Spread them out. Make defenses worried that they have to cover every inch. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I just, I just want fun football. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like Purdue or Drew Brees no longer holds that record as of 2013. Uh, Connor Halliday threw 89 in a in a Washington State versus Oregon game. Threw 89 passes. That's, that's just incredible. That's a lot of plays. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, I mean, just what a crazy game that must have been. Um, but I, I don't know. Purdue, Purdue's got to do something because that offense looked bad, and the Illinois defense is not good. Like I said at the top, they allowed, on average, 30.3 points per game, and all Purdue could muster was 13, and that relied on the touchdown with, what was it, about 5.45 or so left in the game. And, oh, man, uh, it was it was not pretty. Also, that touchdown, if that linebacker doesn't step the wrong way, <laughs> intercept well, it. Yeah, but, I mean, you could you could play that game on about on a, just about every other play, you know, in football. Oh, if the safety does this or if a defensive back does that or if a lineman gets through, you know, you can do you can second guess just about every play out there. Yeah, uh, I thought it was picked. <laughs> well, I mean, there's always that chance. He already had two. So um, and I. But before we wrap up, I do want to give kudos to the defense once again, because, uh, as I said, Purdue scored with just over five minutes to play, uh, I believe. And so then they had to they had to hold. Oh, wait, uh, sorry. Hold on. I'm trying to see the exact time. Yeah. 544 uh, was when Purdue scored. So that gave Illinois plenty of time to go down the field. And of course, they had to have a touchdown. They were down by four, so that extra point was pretty huge. Um, but they, Illinois, took a 13-play, 56-yard drive. But on the last, you know, in the last series of plays, they actually threw the ball away on three separate occasions. Uh, second, third, and fourth down were all incomplete passes. A couple of them out of bounds entirely, just you know, uh, trying to make a pass that he just couldn't make. So. Uh, Brandon Peters did not acquit himself very well on that last drive. But a lot of that, you know, you have to give credit to the Purdue defense because they were living in the backfield. Uh, the defensive backfield uh, did pretty well as well, uh, hassling those receivers. So, but man, that was stressful. <laughs> yeah, uh, we made just enough plays. You know, we were struggling against McRae, but every so often on a first down, we'd get in the backfield and have them lose yards. And all of a sudden, Illinois' offense. So if we keep making plays like that and using our speed, which we have in abundance, I think our defense is going to be pretty good throughout. It does not seem like the Big Ten is loaded with a bunch of great offense. No, not at all. Especially the Big Ten West. Yeah. So if Purdue is going to have success, it's entirely based off the defense playing a exactly how it played in the last couple games yeah so as i said uh purdue currently sitting at first place in the uh big 10 west wild world we live i know and i gotta say uh somebody shared this in our group chat that the purdue sports twitter account literally they apparently they've since deleted the tweet because i can't find it now uh but they tweeted who's got it better than us and then tweeted a picture of the big 10 west standings and like it's been one game. Let's not let's not get out of hand. Here. I mean, we're not going to get another chance. So <laughs> yeah, but there's Shoot always the shot. option. There's always the option of not tweeting. So is there though? Uh, yes, uh, as someone as someone who has drafted and then deleted quite a few tweets in his lifetime, I can tell you, oftentimes the best tweets are the ones you don't make. Uh, you can find Ledman on Twitter at Coward Lawyer. <laughs> Three forty-five. That's, that's exactly what it is. Oh my gosh! Like I kind of cringed at that tweet, but it does appear that they've deleted it. Actually, so I think we uh, have to. I think we have to embrace that we're not really a Big Ten football team. So just start acting like a mid-major in the conference. I think. <laughs> so you're hoping for a relegation situation where maybe next year we'll be in the MAC. 
Well, no, nah, I mean we're gonna stay here. I just I just want to have that like the the uh, plucky attitude. Ah, uh, okay. We're gonna be plucky Purdue. Okay. So the let me just say before we before we head out, the Big Ten West is a dumpster fire right now. So here are the standings from bottom to top: Nebraska, zero and two; Wisconsin, zero and one; Northwestern, zero and one; Minnesota, zero and one; Illinois, one and two; Iowa, one and zero; Purdue, one and zero. How many touchdowns? Oh, I I don't I don't have that in front of me. It can't be very many. Um, I mean Iowa, their one win is over Indiana. So, uh, and an Indiana team that is only two and two, and quite frankly does not look good, almost lost to Western Kentucky uh, this weekend. So perhaps the blip of IU being decent at football really was largely due to their schedule. So uh, we will see uh, if that continues to be true, but. Um, Casey, is there anybody else you want to kind of highlight from this Illinois game who you think did particularly well or uh, some aspect we haven't talked about yet? Marvin Grant's really good uh, all over the field. Like, besides, I mean, I, the whole defense just off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Karloftis continues to do great work. Um, that was a really nice punch out. Oh, yeah. Really well timed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think, like you said, the defense is really starting to be something. It's just a matter of if they can do it consistently throughout the year. Because a lot of the players on the defense, it's not that they're, I mean, we do have some young players on the defense, but some of them also are inexperienced. And, you know, you can be old and inexperienced. So I wonder if they can keep up this intensity from game to game. And uh, I just want to say, if you heard that, I hate ESPN and their stupid autoplay videos. Leave that in. I hate you, ESPN, and your stupid videos. Um, so if they can keep that up, we we really need them to get more turnovers. I think that's the one thing this defense is missing. Um, you know, we may <laughs> we may have to have the defense score some points in order to stay in some of these games going forward. So uh, that is really the one thing that's missing. They're living in the backfield. They're making some plays. Um, in the defensive backfield. So if they could, you know, force some fumbles and actually recover or grab some interceptions, that that would be huge for this team. Well, we're going to come into a game where I, I thought we were over this. I don't know how this luck keeps continuing. We're going to come into a game where a quarterback is throwing 52% completed pass. Once again. <laughs> is the Minnesota quarterback? That is on Tanner the Morgan. Basically. He's been around forever. 38 of 72 coming in. I don't wow. understand how this. Yeah. Yeah, Purdue is can just continuously lucked into playing some of the most inconsistent quarterbacks uh, in the country. So, you know, maybe maybe a lackluster offense will be OK again. Um, but so we will be back with you uh, in the middle of the week to talk about the Minnesota game. They currently sit at two and two on the season with wins uh, against Miami of Ohio and Colorado and losses to Ohio State and Bowling Green, of all teams. Uh, they actually came into that game, I think, something like a 30-point favorite and lost to Bowling Green, 14-10. to 10. So uh, things are not looking so great in Minnesota. The boat seems to have sprung a leak. So no rowing. No rowing. Um, more like bailing. They're going to be bailing the boat. Um, I don't know what that means. You know, you, you bail, like with a bucket to get the water out of the boat when you're taking on water. I, is that what bailing means? It, it is. Huh. So, I mean, at least that's how I've used it. So, um, all right. Well, as I've, you know, thrown the meaning of words into a podcast, I think that signals that it's time to go. So, you know, any victory is beautiful, as the folks like to say on the Internet. So Purdue is now three and one and one and oh in the Big Ten Conference sitting atop the Big Ten West. So 
Let's savor it while we've got it. So for Casey and myself, Boiler Up, and we'll chat with you next week, folks. Boiler Up.